0: Hi, it's Helen. Just wanted to give you a heads up that in this episode, my audio might sound not so great because I am not feeling so great. I am really, really sick and was feeling really sick when uh, we recorded this episode, so... In a fit of coughing, sinus issue, I might have somehow messed up the audio on my computer. I don't know what exactly happened, but if it sounds a little janky, that is what's going on and I apologize. But hopefully you'll enjoy hearing me anyway. So let's get to it. Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, recording remotely from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, Jake Keith Van Stratton.
1: Thank you so much, Helen. Nice to see you.
0: Nice to see you, Jake Keith.
1: Now, Helen, I don't know if you can hear, but I am sitting mere yards from an actual picket that is happening outside of CBS Television City. Ooh.
0: You're in the thick of the writer's strike.
1: I am. And I know that's an important issue to you as well. You've been very vocal about that.
0: It is. I've been very vocal. So uh, for those of you that are not in the entertainment industry, there is a Writers Guild of America, which is the Screenwriters Guild, uh, are striking right now against quote unquote the man
2: Uh,
0: (laughs) basically Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and you know CBS and all the the big studios uh, they've been making record profits but not sharing any of the profits with the actual creatives that are making the shows i.e. the writers the actors the you know the crew people none of us down here who are actually in the thick of making the TV shows that you love are uh, seeing any of the profits and they're even talking about things like hey if AI gets good enough to write a show we're gonna employ AI instead of you writers and we're like ah
1: sometimes it might be hard for people to relate to. But I think if you just think about what any union is fighting for, it's fair wages, fair play, a fair deal, so that uh, workers uh, don't get exploited by people who are employing them. So uh, if it's something that you're interested in finding out more about, of course, you can do that online. I also wanted to mention that one of our former guests, Adam Conover, uh, has been a great advocate for writers and really good at explaining a lot of what's going on on his Twitter feed. So I would definitely recommend checking that out.
0: Yeah, a lot of you may know him uh, as Adam Ruins Everything. And Mm -hmm. he is a really smart guy. He's also one of the people who are actually at the table of negotiations. And I am not in the WGA, but I have many friends in the the WGA. I'm eligible to be in the WGA. I'm in SAG, actually, which is a sister union. Our negotiations start in July, and I'm like, "Mm, I'm ready to strike. So that's what's going on over here.
1: That is what's going on over here. Well, what's going on today on Go Fact Yourself is, of course, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they may not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first.
0: She is a comedian, storyteller, and TikTok star with over 30 million likes. It's Ellen Aquario.
1: Hello, Ellen.
0: Hello. So happy to be here.
1: So happy to have you. Now, Ellen, I have to confess, I am not very familiar with TikTok. I went on yesterday so I could try to get to know you better, and I instantly was confused and overwhelmed. Uh, (laughs) There were just so many badges and texts I didn't understand. Can you tell us, what what is it that you like about TikTok, and why do you think your videos have gotten such huge response?
3: Well, you know, I'm 41 years old, and I don't really tell people I'm on TikTok in my demographic. Really? Well, I think it's less embarrassing now. It used to be really embarrassing, because it was considered such a kid's app. I joined during COVID because I Mm -hmm. was just bored and couldn't get stage time as a comedian. It evolved into, you know what, I want to speak up for, when I was a kid, I had nobody speaking up for my point of view. And uh, I have so many young BIPOC youth telling me, I wish I could say the things that you could say. Like their perspectives are in line with mine. And even actually people my age, I wish I could say what you are saying, but I can't because I have a job. <laughs> and I don't, so, you know. <laughs> I mean,
0: I'm a comic. That's how I first sort of got to know about you is, you know, a, a few of your videos went viral and it just came kind of popped up on my feed and I was like, damn, this girl is... Like, she's fearless and she's got so much personality and she's sassy and she's just speaking the truth and she's funny about it. So that's why... I sort of became aware of you. I think you're great. But Helen, did you know that we met? Did we? I
3: I, uh, met you at Women in Comedy Festival in Boston, sponsored by HBO. I thought that you might have remembered because (laughs) I was such a creeper, and I kind of like danced over to you like, hey. Hey,
0: No, I mean, that was like five or six years ago, right? It was quite a while ago. That's right, and you looked fantastic, and I was like, oh my God, there's Helen. So, yeah, I um, try to
3: dance with you, and you are so nice. No,
1: Helen did tell me, you should book that creepy lady who I met at the uh, Comedy Festival five years <laughs> no, ago. No. That is not, partly why no. you're here. I have
0: no recollection <laughs> of that. Also, I did a lot of drugs in college, so I don't. Yeah. I have no recollection of a lot of things. <laughs> but I, I think you're a great TikTok star. I am so impressed by what you're doing, and I love that you are an Asian woman, and particularly a Korean-American woman who's similar in age to me and, and kind of, like, knows exactly the way I grew up, uh, that you're just fearless. And I love that. You're just like, you know what? I don't care what my parents think or I don't care what society thinks. Like, I'm just gonna say what I need to say. And you make it funny too, that's what's great. Ah, you're making my heart.
2: (laughs) All the things
3: I wanted to hear from my parents that I never did. You know, when your parents reject you enough, you don't care. (laughs) If they cut you off, you're like, you know, finally.
1: Well, speaking of parents, uh, you're taking a little bit of a left turn with a new project that you're doing. You're writing a children's book. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah. um, It's kind of all is aligned with everything that's happened. But um, I have two boys, Mm -hmm. seven, (laughs) eleven. the one year I can remember their ages. And (laughs) (laughs) it's dedicated to them. They both have their stuffed animals that they love one's panda, one's penguin, and it's the adventures of panda and penguin. I always wonder, like, what could I have been had I had white parents that told me, you can be anything you want to (laughs) be.
2: And so with my kids,
3: I don't even want them to be anything other than just, like, decent human beings in life. Like, don't turn out to be horrible people, please. So that's what the book is about. Be you. They meet different creatures. You can do the things you want to do. And that can still be you. So that's what the book is about, and it's the idea of like, I wish I was told those things.
1: That's a real gift that you're giving to to your children and to the children uh, who read it. And by the way, I just want to point out, not all white parents are as encouraging as you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Alan Aquario. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Helen, against whom will Ellen be competing?
0: He is an award winning journalist and author who hosts the popular daily podcast, The Gist. It's Mike Pesca. Hey, Mike Pesca.
1: Hello. Oh, Thanks so, for having me. So wonderful to have you here. The Gist, of course, is the longest running daily news podcast in history. Why do a podcast every day? We find it hard enough to do one twice a month.
4: I listen at double speed. So even uh, though my podcast comes out five times a week, for me, it's yep. only like two and a half times a week uh, on, the <laughs> on the listening listening front you can even put your podcast on pause by the way humorous podcast or humorous trivia podcast you mm-hmm. might say oh does the humor get hurt when you listen at double speed it does not it just makes you guys seem quicker oh how about oh. that helen likes that a lot
0: do i sound like a squirrel though at double speed
4: no no they have excellent technology to de-squirrelize everyone okay. to sound like <laughs> at best uh, uh, an ibis
1: well i'm gonna yeah. give a message to you mike for when you listen to this Hi, And let me know if that sounds
5: any different.
4: I'm going to slow that down to half speed so you sound drunk.
1: (laughs) That that won't be difficult. Uh,
4: That's how I amuse myself. (laughs) What's
1: so wonderful about the gist is you bring in so many smart people to discuss just so many different kinds of topics and uh, from different perspectives. I'm curious, uh, are there times where your mind has actually been changed on a topic because of something you discussed with a guest? always and often and it's pretty much
4: the high point of the program for me even podcasts that are debate or discussion shows it's always three or four people agreeing with each other i'll do a whole show where i talk about like that big mask study do they work don't they work Mm -hmm. i've had six different guests i have many different thoughts on it and Mm -hmm. i present it to the audience you know all those thoughts so i think that's what broadcasters should be doing
1: yeah, I, I remember those days of, uh, of, of television, especially where that was the case, where you could actually consider someone's point of view and not just be yelled at. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you have something in common with uh, Helen Hong here in that uh, you've guest hosted Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. What was that experience like for you?
4: I loved it. As you know, Helen, when you're working on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, the week going up to the show is just being in a comedy writer's room, and that is so much fun. And I love that, the experience of putting the show together. And then when you pair it with the improvisational nature of the show itself, it's a great time.
0: You know what I loved about you being on NPR generally is that you don't sound like a quote-unquote traditional NPR broadcaster. You have a New York accent. You- You sort of have a little bit of a gruff, like, everyday guy demeanor. And that's why whenever I heard you uh, in any capacity on NPR, I really enjoyed hearing you. There's another little secret about
4: NPR, which is not just how the people talk, but what they say, which is that a lot of two ways, which are when the uh, host of a program interviews a reporter, those are, I'm going to give a big thing away. Those are scripted. Some of the great reporters on NPR definitely don't do scripted two ways. And I think you really hear it and it comes through the radio and it seems so much more authentic. So I would insist on that and not just voice, not just, you know, vocal quality and accent, but actual human non-scripted speech is really important and really hooks the listener. And I wish NPR would embrace more of that, maybe
1: hire some more people who could do that well. Well, listen to this unscripted response I have. Oh! Uh, last thing I want to ask you about
4: the man man is a master of the (laughs) (laughs) form.
2: All
1: right, I'll admit I had that written down (laughs) you uh, recently helped raise money for a Ukrainian family uh, who were refugees and not only did you meet that goal uh, you also helped them in a very personal way tell us about what you did
4: this is all my wife she found out about this family there were many Ukrainian refugees and they needed a home for a little while and we had space in our home for a little while and a little while became a long while and I talked (laughs) about it on the show. But what the State Department does, they have goals and programs to welcome in refugees, such as people who are fleeing the war. It's hard. You know, it's not yeah. just about the money, it's about the culture shock. And it's about, I find that when things are very straightforward and the answer is all you have to do is work harder, that's easy. Yeah. But when the answer is something like, you have to know when to pull back. You have to know when to let them take the lead. You have to know Mm. when working smarter is working harder, but when working harder is working harder. And these are some of the things that we had to figure out to help the Denyushkins uh, navigate living in America. But we raised a lot of money for them. They're here for a while. Uh, Sergey is an electrician. He's gotten a job. The kids are in school. Things seem to be looking up for them.
1: Amazing.
0: Wow. God bless you. Wow. Incredible.
1: Yes. Well, I'm I'm, I'm in complete admiration and awe that uh, you and your wife were able to do that and uh just amazing and thank you so much for being here everybody it's mike pesca all right mike and ellen we ask each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise ellen you said you know a lot about tennis the movie 10 things i hate about you and Stephen young whereas mike you said you know a lot about college nicknames and mascots the movie caddyshack and the international criminal court in the hague The Caddyshack of Criminal Courts.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Later on,
1: we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect or incomplete answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, All Alone. First up in All Alone is Ellen. Ellen, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen?
0: I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording listeners if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our what's the difference round go to gofactorpod.com and click on get involved okay play it
5: hello 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 this is ryan koposinski from mount gilead ohio my question for what's the difference is while both might have you speaking all alone what's the difference on stage between a monologue and a soliloquy. Thanks, love the show. Have a good one.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Ryan. All right, Ellen, you heard Ryan. What is the difference between a monologue and a soliloquy?
3: One is talking to the people. The other is talking to the air.
1: (laughs) Okay, and uh, which one one is which?
3: Um, The monologue is talking to the people and soliloquy Uh is talking to the air. (laughs)
1: talking to the air which you would never put uh, words through the air to people, it would stop at the air yeah, it would just
3: sit in the air
1: it would just sit in the air Right. Uh, we've got Ellen's answer, we don't know yet if she's entirely correct Mike, if you don't think she got it exactly right you can steal anything you want to change or add
4: I'm just going to break down the etymologies, and they're almost the same, right? Mono and solo, uh, those are both the one, but the soliloquy, loquacious is the talking and the monologue, I think that that could be written... But I also am thinking of Hamlet's soliloquy, which is a solo scene alone on stage. And perhaps a monologue can be uh, delivered within the context of other actors. So let's go with that. Is that a coherent enough answer?
0: Wow. I I like, that was so smart. It's funny.
1: Helen usually writes down what people say. I blacked
0: <laughs> out for a second. I was yeah. just like, wait, what? I'm still at the etymology part that you said (laughs) like 10 minutes ago. (laughs) All right. Well, this
1: segment needs to get off the stage. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges table for the facts.
0: Here are the facts. Both monologues and soliloquies involve an actor speaking at length on stage. The difference is who is listening? because a monologue is when a character speaks so that anyone in the reality of the play can hear them. Think of Mark Anthony's Friends, Romans, countrymen speech in Julius Caesar, a famous monologue. A soliloquy is when a character speaks their interior thoughts only to themselves. We, the audience, can hear them, of course, but no one else in the reality of the play can. Think of Hamlet's To Be or Not To Be, a famous soliloquy.
1: That's right. The word monologue, as Mike probably knows, comes from the Greek word monologus, which means speaking alone. The word soliloquy comes from the Latin word soliloquium, meaning a talking to oneself. And both of those come from the online etymology dictionary, meaning I Googled it. Helen, how did our guest do?
0: You know, I'm going to give Ellen both points on this. I think, right? yeah, I think you got, yeah, because you you essentially said, Monologue is to the people, and soliloquy is to the air, and that's essentially correct.
1: Essentially correct is good enough. Two points for Ellen, congratulations. what? All right, up next in All Alone is Mike. Mike, while both indicate that you might be all alone, what's the difference between a person feeling lonely and feeling lonesome? Lonely and lonesome.
4: I would say lonely is an emotional feeling where you want for company and Mm -hmm. you seek companionship, but you have none. Mm -hmm. The feeling of lonesome perhaps is the feeling of uh, isolated and unconnected to other people, not necessarily wanting other people, maybe saying to yourself, I am the only such person in the world.
1: All right. Fair enough. Uh, We've got Mike Santor. Don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Ellen, anything you'd like to add or change? A person feeling
4: lonely
3: Mm is sad.
1: <laughs> okay.
3: A person feeling lonesome, yeah, is not sad-ish. Uh yeah. I'm going to go with that. Not
1: as sad. <laughs> All right. Well, this segment needs to be left alone. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts.
0: Here are the facts. A lonely person simply desires companionship, wherever it may come from. A lonesome person desires companionship with someone specific. Whether it's a lover, a pet, or a family, someone lonesome is lonesome for someone.
1: Oh, Uh, Yes, that's right. Now, in addition to people, both words can describe things where lonely means singular and lonesome means deserted, like a lonely tree on a lonesome prairie, or, of course, a lonely tumbleweed on a lonesome prairie, or a lonely podcast host in a lonesome converted closet. Helen, how did our guest do?
0: Mike, I think you got lonely correct because you did say it's a want for company which Mm -hmm. is correct not sure you got lonesome because you were you said it was unconnected to other people which isn't quite correct i'd say one point for mike
1: one point for mike very good what is our score at the end of that round
0: at the end of that round ellen aquario has two points and mike pesca has one point
1: but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves it's all up ahead when we come back on go fact yourself Hey, everybody. It's time to talk about our brand new sponsor, Soylent, the original food tech company that makes delicious and nutritious nutrition products in convenient formats. And I have a special guest here. Who are you?
6: Hi, I'm Sarah, your fiance. Oh, yeah,
1: I know you. Well, Sarah, I know that you're super into nutrition. You're a, uh, what are you, a certified nutritional planner or something? <laughs> what is it? A what certified...
6: Nutrition coach.
1: Yeah, and a a certified personal trainer. That's right. Yeah, somehow those are correct. Well, so you know a lot about nutrition, and uh, Soylent sent us a bunch of products, and I had you be our special tester, and I know that you tried a bunch of their flavors of their Soylent Complete Meals. Tell us what you thought about them.
6: Well, I think my favorites were the strawberry and the chocolate mint. Ooh, but there was the dark chocolate, too, which I'm also a huge fan of. But some of the things I really loved about it was that it was... 20 full grams of plant-based protein. Mm -hmm. It had all of these healthy fats... And at 400 calories, I knew it was going to be satiating enough Mm -hmm. to be a substitute for a meal when I needed it, which actually happened quite a bit.
1: Now, Soylent isn't saying that you should replace all of your meals. I mean, nutritionally, it can. But sometimes you don't have time to grab a full meal or to cook or you're on the go and you just need something extra filling. And that's where Soylent fits the bill. I know one of the things you liked about it also, you were telling me, was that they're resealable. So if you don't want to have it for a full meal, but you just need a filling snack, you seal it up, you put it back in the fridge, and it's good to go for another few days.
6: And that's exactly what I did. When I needed to train in the morning and I needed something very quick, I could grab one and know that I wasn't going to drink at all because I just wasn't hungry enough. And I would drink half and know it would last at least three more days.
1: Yeah. Now you were telling me, I would never imply that anything that you consumed made you uh bloated or bloaty how dare you never would i but you said especially with soylent that that was a big perk for you as well yeah
6: because it's it's non-dairy so i didn't feel that bloated kind of feeling that a lot of whey protein can give
1: so it's perfect for breakfast lunch or any time you just need a nutritious meal that is delicious boy i wish helen hong were here to tell us how to get some soylent
0: me too i am here oh hi helen Hi! Hi, J. Keith. Hi, Sarah. Go to Soylent.com slash GoFact and use code GOFACT to get 20% off your first order. That's Soylent.com slash GoFact and use code GOFACT for 20% off your first order.
1: And that's why we say...
0: Thank thank you, (laughs)
2: Soylent.
1: Trans representation in media is at an all-time high, with trans entertainers gracing the screens large and small. But trans voices, especially black trans voices, are rarely centered in our own stories. That's why we bring you a new limited series called We See Each Other, the podcast, co-hosted by me, journalist and better half of the MaxFun podcast, Fanta, Trayvall Anderson, and me, award-winning journalist and media personality, Char Jassel. All of it is based on my book, We See Each Other, a black trans journey through TV and film. Now, listen, folks, we're having a very different kind of conversation.
7: It's giving kitchen table
1: talk. Mm-hmm. We get into the discourse, honey. Tune into We See Each Other, the podcast at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get Slayworthy audio.
0: Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Ellen Aquario and Mike Pesca. Once again, here's J.K. Van Straten.
1: Thank you, Helen. All right, Ellen, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love tennis, the movie 10 Things I Hate About You, and Stephen Yeun. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what you know and love about tennis.
3: I grew up learning tennis from my dad when I was about eight, and I grew up watching Serena Williams, I thought me and her were like twins, (laughs) but it's something I grew up doing and currently do I have an ACL tear on my right leg and Achilles Achilles rupture on my left leg, and
0: I still play. What? (laughs) Wow. You love it through the injuries. Wow. Still playing. Still going.
1: All right. You also said that you know and love the movie 10 Things I Hate About You.
3: Yes. It's my nostalgia film, uh, My Teen Mm -hmm. Love Affair. And it was shot in Seattle, and I'm from Seattle. And, oh, my God, like so many breakout stars from that movie. Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles. Whenever you think nostalgia back to, like, high school years, that's my film.
1: All right. And then finally you said you know a lot about Steven Yeun.
3: Oh, his acting is superb. Like, from his first role in Walking Dead. I mean, you. I feel like you literally watch him grow as an actor on that show. And then he became this, like, movie actor. Um, and he loves Conan, and Conan loves him, who's my other, like, super favorite <laughs> Coming in, I just feel like we're all friends and they don't know I Conan exist, but approved. that's okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
1: So to summarize, uh, you thought Serena Williams was your sister and Stephen Jan and Conan are your friends. Yes. All right. Also to summarize, you said you know and love tennis, the movie Ten Things I Hate About You, and Steven Jan, today we're gonna quiz you about the movie Ten Things I Hate About You.
0: Okay. Okay, IBS
3: activated. Okay, cool, cool. Let's okay.
1: go. <laughs> That's what it took, huh? Yeah. Uh, how often do you think you've seen the movie over the years?
3: First one, it came out and I just kept watching, um, like for my favorite bits and I still watch bits on my TikTok.
1: What are some of your favorite bits from the movie?
3: I know you can be overwhelmed and I know you can be underwhelmed, but can you just be wow? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great scene. Just ahead, we're going to list the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, Ellen, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Mike, listen closely, because if Ellen answers incorrectly, you can steal. Mike, by the way, how much do you know about the movie Ten Things I Hate About You?
4: You know, there was a genre of movie in that time that had numbers in the title, like yeah. 13 Going on 30 and How to Lose a Guy <laughs> in 10 Days. I missed all of them just so you know (laughs) okay i know it was based on i think a christopher marlowe play if i'm not getting that
1: wrong all right we'll see if ellen (laughs) lets you answer any here's question number one about 10 things i hate about you the story of 10 things i hate about you may sound familiar to those who've never even seen it because its story the younger sister can't pursue a relationship unless her older sister who is seen as very unlikable does so as well comes from what shakespeare play
0: Teaming up the show ellen that is correct.
1: That is correct. Very emphatic. Yeah! Not quite the, the Marlowe story that uh, some have been led to believe, but uh, the Taming of the Shoe.
4: I'm one of those who believed. Yes, yes, I know. I know. The, so numbers, you know. Yes, the numbers.
1: The numbers. It's a, it's, it's a conspiracy theory. Fun fact, there are several references to the play sprinkled throughout the movie, including the name of the high school, Padua High. On IMDb, William Shakespeare is credited as one of the screenwriters. No word on if he gets residuals. Oh. All right, here's question number two. The title of the movie comes from a poem that Kat, played by Julia Stiles, reads to her class and especially to Patrick, played by Heath Ledger. It ends with these lines. I hate it that you're not around and the fact that you didn't call, but mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close, not even a little bit, not even what? At all. Ellen?
0: That is correct. That
1: is correct for the points." <laughs> Ellen is two for two. Fun fact, that poem is based on Shakespeare's Sonnet 141. That scene in the film was shot just once, and Julia Stiles' tears were real and not planned.
3: Yes! I'm on a
1: roll! You are! Here's question number three. We get to know the social scene at Padua High School, as early in the movie Cameron, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is given the breakdown by Michael. But which of the following is not one of the groups of students that Michael shows him? Is it the Cowboys, the Burnouts the future MBAs, the coffee kids, or the don't even think about it group?
3: The Cowboys. Ellen? That is not correct.
1: No! No, I'm terribly sorry. No, there are Cowboys for some reason at this Seattle area high school. Uh, Mike Peska, chance to steal. I think the Burnouts is a Ferris Bueller reference. I'll go with that. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Very nice job for the steal from a movie you have not seen. Nah. (laughs) Fun fact, the others are The Basic Beautiful People and The White Rastas. All right, Alan, uh, let's see if we can bounce back with question number four. You do still have your two hints available. Not only does the movie's soundtrack rock, it spent several weeks on the Billboard charts, but there are some live band performances in the movie as well. During the pivotal prom scene, members of what two real-life bands perform on stage?
0: Letters to Cleo. And? Give me a
1: hint. You would like that hint. Helen, how about that first hint?
0: One of them sounds like you're sending written correspondence to a famous TV psychic. The other sounds like you're trying to rescue a giant wheel at a carnival.
1: What would a giant wheel at a carnival
0: be called? Giant wheel at a... I mean, that's Ferris.
1: Okay. And if you're trying to rescue it?
3: Say Ferris. And? Letters to Cleo. I did it.
1: That is correct. That is correct. You did do it. Congratulations. Very nice. (laughs) Wow. that was great fun fact save ferris another reference to ferris bueller's day off also monique powell of save ferris was a guest on episode 5 of go fact yourself and an expert for us on episode 56
3: wow it
1: all comes back together all right here's question number five ellen you still have your other hint available played by andrew keegan high schooler joey donner also works as a model Joey loves to brag and demonstrate his skills, but he isn't too proud to ask for advice, like when he asks Bianca which of his nearly identical modeling pictures she prefers. As seen on the front of these photos, what is the name of Joey's modeling agency? Wow.
3: No! I thought you were going to ask me which word he used to describe his
0: photo. I can't use the hints later, right?
1: Yeah, no, this is your last chance.
0: Oh, well, then let's use it. Let's use
1: it, Helen. How about that second hint?
0: It's a good luck symbol of Ireland and represents the Holy Trinity. Clover!
1: Helen, is it clover?
2: It is not clover.
1: No, I'm terribly sorry. Mike, For the chance to steal. If I get this right, there'll be two
4: things she hates about me, but... (laughs) I'll go with the Triskelion.
1: Helen, is it a Triskelion?
0: Wow, I've never even heard that word in my life, and no, it is not. (laughs) No, it is
1: not. We're looking for Shamrock. It is the Shamrock Modeling Agency. Okay.
3: Maybe I overthought
1: that one. You might yeah. have been a little bit.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I thank God you did, you <laughs> 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 brainiac. Ellen, I'm going to
1: let you give the fun fact because it starts with my saying, Bianca says that one of the photos is more pensive, to which Joey replies, damn, I was going for...
0: Thoughtful. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: very, very good. All right, Ellen, you did pretty well in that round, but now here's your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. <sighs> We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. As a senior in high school, not only does Kat have to deal with her teachers, her social life, and her family, but she also has to deal with going to college. Screenwriters Karen McCullough and Kirsten Kiwi-Smith inform the character of Kat by having her long to attend a school that reflects Kat's independent thinking and feminist views, but is far from her Seattle home. So, for up to three points, what local university does Kat's father initially want her to attend? What college does Kat want to go to, which her father ultimately supports? And what cast member who played Kat's sister, Bianca, actually attended this school, graduating five years after the movie came out? (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Let's break it down. You know the Seattle area. Yeah, so what local university? University of Washington. University of Washington, all right. And then what college does Kat want to go to?
3: I want to say, I should know this. I don't know why I want to say... Baylor. I don't think Baylor. that's it at all.
1: Okay. And then finally, who played Cat's sister, Bianca, who actually attended this school in real life? I want to
3: say it starts with M. Okay. Martha.
1: Martha. Okay. That's so wrong. <laughs> Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an extra on the hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have multiple experts. Helen, who do we have tonight?
0: Joining us tonight are three people who helped make 10 Things I Hate About You. The screenwriters, Karen McCullough and Kirsten Kiwi-Smith, and the actor who played Bianca, Larissa Whoa! Hello everybody!
2: (laughs) I'm dying! (laughs) Oh that's, that's
0: Larissa
1: who is dying. Larissa, tell us why you're dying. Um,
2: first of all, heretofore known as Martha.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am definitely a white lady with a liberal arts education.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to all of you, and thank you for being such good sports. Ellen seems a little embarrassed. Do we, do we maybe want to talk her down?
2: They already prefaced this by saying, like, she might not know. And I'm like, I will not be offended in the slightest. <laughs> I am offended. I am not the most interesting person in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I- I, Although I'm glad you know, that, I'm glad you quoted the line because I that I'm the under the whelmed and underwhelmed line. I'm glad you I get that one all the time.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Larissa, of course, people will know you also as the star of the Secret World of Alex Mack. Your recurring roles on shows like Third Rock from the Sun, Mad Men, and Hawaii Five-0. O. You're now starring in a new show on Nickelodeon called Aaron and Aaron, which I'll talk to you about oh, in yeah. a moment. Karen and Kiwi, you are the most successful female screenwriting duo ever. In addition to your work on Ten Things I Hate About You, people will know your. Movie- Ella Enchanted, The House Bunny, The Ugly Truth, She's the Man, and a little something called Legally Blonde. What? We are your nostalgia queens over here. (laughs) Well, those movies have uh, grossed a total of over half a billion dollars. Congratulations on those wonderful uh, successes that you've had. Kiwi, I was talking with you yesterday, and you said that uh, some people are surprised when you find out that the same people who wrote 10 Things I Hate About You wrote some of those other movies. Uh, Which one in particular?
7: You know, obviously, they they have a lot of love for for these movies, which all came out kind of close together. And I think they're surprised Mm -hmm. that the same two women wrote Legally Blonde, 10 Things, and She's the Man. And Mm -hmm. it means a lot to us.
1: We were very busy those couple years, for sure. <laughs> we were. <laughs> yeah. Karen, do you often find people who refuse to see uh, your movies because they have numbers in the title? Never. Not once until okay, today. But that's a new and one. <laughs> a new bias we're not aware of. Karen, is it true that 10 Things was the first script that you two sold? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Very nice. One of my faves. And uh, Larissa, let's talk about how you got involved. I understand you actually wanted to play a different role originally. Yeah,
2: well, I had, I was auditioning. For both Kat and Bianca simultaneously, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until we got to sort—I think the final screen test—and and Karen and Kiwi do take credit for my going to Sarah Lawrence. <laughs> 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 I'm not going. Sarah go, Lawrence. Go. I'm oh not- God. <laughs> well, now
1: that now that we've revealed this part of our uh, answer, uh, I should point out also what's interesting about this movie is that I went to Sarah Lawrence as well.
4: <laughs> Whoa. <laughs>
1: So uh, my ears definitely perked up when I heard that reference uh, throughout the film. And also sometimes you'll hear Sarah Lawrence as a punchline or a shorthand to make an insult. But in this one, it really was a genuine ambition for this character. Where did the idea of putting Sarah Lawrence in the screenplay come from, uh, Kiwi and uh, Karen?
7: Oh, yeah. It was like a 90s... Feminist iconic school, and I think they'd only barely started admitting men shortly before that. I don't know if that's true, but also I'd like to say that can we take credit for you going to Sarah Lawrence as well? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Even though the movie came out after I had right. graduated, it definitely influenced me somehow. Oh. Karen, I was watching a video earlier that was from about 10 years ago of you and Kiwi's writing process and you were writing on yellow pads and you're working on index cards on the floor of your home. What's your method of writing now? Well, I have an index card right here that I (laughs)
7: want to So
1: Nothing much has changed. We have a record of
7: ideas that we cross out. We can look at them as opposed to if you're Typing up something and then you go back and delete it, it, it's hard to recreate it. But we have reams and reams of crossed out things that if we ever need to refer back to for any reason, we can. We keep it all, too. Oddly enough, we have all these plastic tubs in our garage of, like, old, old drafts of stuff. And it's it's kind of fun years later to, like, if there's a charity auction, to be like, oh, you want a page from Legally Blonde? Here we go. Oh, what a wow. great gift.
3: Hoarding wow. pays off. That is amazing.
1: But my garage is very full. so. Well, again, that's a good sign. Obviously, when you write a first draft of a screenplay, even when you've written the final draft, it varies from what ends up on the screen. Uh, Were there things that ended up on the screen that uh, surprised and delighted you or maybe frustrated you from what you originally had envisioned?
7: I mean, it's funny you mentioned the poem. And by the way, Ellen, amazing job remembering the last line of the poem. Bravo! Oh, um, yeah, I think Julia's choice to cry in that scene was was a, a surprise, a delightful surprise to us that she brought all this emotion mm-hmm. to the moment.
1: Well, Larissa, let's talk about what you're up to now. Of course, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of people knew you from Nickelodeon on the Secret World of Alex Mack. What's it like yeah. to be back on Nickelodeon in a new show called Aaron and Aaron?
2: I have a 14-year-old named Aaron, and then there is a 14-year-old named Aaron. <laughs> And in the very, very first episode, we are blending our families. And so they are step-siblings. I also have a nine-year-old on the show. The kids are awesome. I'm pretty much obsessed with them. Yeah, it's kind of, it's it's emotional in ways that I didn't quite anticipate. Oh, interesting. The show just started airing less than a week ago. So we've kind of been in this beautiful little work bubble. I'm in my dressing room right now. But we will sort of see what happens as the show starts being out in the world a little bit more. And yeah. they, there's a lot of original music on the show. Both the kids play. They're ginormously talented. So Yeah, I was going
1: to ask, uh, uh, do you get to sing? <laughs> I, know, I, I know you so have a musical far, theater background, yeah.
2: I do have a musical theater background. That was my first job as a lame Mis kid. Um yeah, no, I've so far I've had a couple different music cues that have gotten cut. I'm trying not to talk personally. Okay. But uh I think this last episode I had a little something, but it's more just like kind of off the cuff, whatever. I don't have any God. actual songs. There the kids have like actual songs that they are learning and performing. I think there's like six or something throughout
1: the season. Last thing I want to ask you about, I think it's so wonderful that uh, you all have continued to enjoy being associated with 10 Things I Hate About You. And that's going to happen uh, again May 27th in Los Angeles. as a special screening as part of the Synespia series. It's going to be in the Los Angeles State Historic Park. I understand that at least two of you are going to be there for that.
7: Yeah, baby. We'll see you there. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs>
1: What do you like about uh, going back to screenings and doing Q&As for 10 Things I Hate About You? It's fun to see what people pick out as memorable lines. Like Nigel with debris is like,
7: oh my God. Oh my <laughs> God. Kids, kids now think that's like the funniest thing. And that was like such a
1: throwaway line in the script that it's like become this life of its own now. All right. Well, let's get to the reason we brought all three of you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of Ellen. First, we wanted to know in the movie, what local university does Kat's father initially want her to attend? Helen, what did Ellen say?
0: Ellen said the University of Washington.
1: And Karen and Kiwi? That was correct. Correct. That is correct also known as U-Dub. Very good for the point. Uh, next, we do have to ask and confirm what college does Kat want to go to, which her father ultimately supports. <laughs> Helen, what was the answer that Ellen gave? Ellen said Baylor. Oh. And what was it now? We know it was... Sarah Lawrence. Sarah Lawrence, our alma mater. Uh, go Griffins, I think it is now. Go I Griffins! Black, I think it was Black Squirrels when I was there. Who knows?
2: <laughs> I still have a t-shirt that says where even the squirrels were black. <laughs> oh, that's great. Just, anyway.
1: <laughs> I love the one that said Sarah Lawrence football still undefeated.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> there's no football team. <laughs> yes, there is no football team. All
1: right, and finally, wanted to know what cast member who played cat sister Bianca actually attended that school, graduating five years after the movie came out. Helen, what did Ellen say?
0: Ellen said Martha. <laughs> okay i was thinking
3: l and m oh my god Uh, ended with the
1: a yeah and uh larissa (laughs) marissa martha yeah
2: from here
1: on out from here on out but unfortunately in the movie it was not yet true so uh, no point there who was that actually larissa
2: larissa olenek that's me
1: All right, Ellen, if you can remove your hands from your eyes, uh, is there anything else that you would like to ask or say to our experts while we have them here?
3: I really do love this movie, and it was super iconic for me at that time. What prompted you to, because you said this is your first screenplay that you sold, what was it that motivated you to write for teens?
7: Hmm. Clueless had just come out, and we both really liked it.
2: Ah. And my so-called
7: life was on TV at the time and we were obsessed with that. So we were like, Mm -hmm. we delved into that world again. And at the time, we weren't that yeah. far away
1: from it. Now it would be a different scenario for sure. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Karen, Kiwi, and Larissa, it was so wonderful to have you. Larissa, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that?
2: Uh, no, I'm on Instagram, Larissa Lanick. I will hopefully be posting more about cats in the very near future.
1: Oh, that, that will get me to follow.
2: <laughs> Aaron and Aaron Thursday's Nickelodeon. Uh, it replays on nick.com. It will eventually be on Paramount Plus and Netflix.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much for being here, Larissa. And Kiwi and Karen, where can people find out what you're up to? Karen? Instagram as well, but all you're gonna get is pictures of this one.
5: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Karen is holding up her
7: adorable uh, doggy. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And Kiwi, you can find me
1: on Instagram and Twitter at Kiwi Loves You. Excellent. Well, we love that you all joined us. Thanks for being here, Karen McCullough, Kiwi Smith, and Larissa Olenek. Thanks, everyone. Thank,
2: Thank you. Guys. So fun. So fun. I will follow you all. Straight. I have
1: to
4: say,
0: I have to watch this movie. You really
4: yeah, do. Yeah, you really do. You yeah. really do.
0: Sounds amazing.
2: All
1: right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round?
0: At the end of that round, Ellen Aquario has six points and Mike Pesca has two points with a round of questions for Mike coming up.
1: That's right. We're going to talk with Mike about a topic he knows about. Plus later, Ellen and Mike will go head to head in our fast facts round all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself.
2: The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom,
1: Diablo 4, Final Fantasy 16, Street Fighter 6, Baldur's Gate 3, Starfield,
0: Spider-Man 2, Master
1: Detective Archives Code for Nintendo Switch?
2: No, is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge time for video games.
0: You need somebody to tell you what's good, what's not so good, and what's amazing. I'm Jason Schreier.
2: I'm Maddie Myers.
0: And I'm Kirk Hamilton. We're the hosts of Triple Click. A video game podcast for anyone who likes games.
6: Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.
2: Welcome back
0: to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Ellen Aquario and Mike Pesca. Once again, here's Jake Heath Van Straten.
1: Thank you, Helen. All right, Mike, of your many interests, you told us you know and love college nicknames and mascots the movie Caddyshack, and the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Mm -hmm. We're going to have fun today. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what college nicknames and mascots means to you.
4: Well, for about 10 years, I was a sports reporter for NPR, and the mascots were something that I thought just uh, appealed to all demographics. But now, Mm -hmm. thinking about it psychologically, in high school, I went to Oceanside High School, and we were the Oceanside Sailors. And I was the sailor. I wore a giant paper mache Popeye head and people would pound on it, not thinking there was a human inside. And it was uh, constructed with chicken wire. It would eat into my neck and cause me
1: to bleed. So maybe
4: there's stuff there. Maybe there's stuff I really need to excavate and explore.
1: Well, that's really what this show ultimately is about.
4: Thank you, guys. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: All right. Next, tell us what the movie Caddyshack means to you.
4: Well, Caddyshack is a fine movie, a great movie, a funny movie. But in college, my friend Paul Bluter, I don't know if you know Paul. He lives in Birmingham now. He's big in the temple. Paul watched (laughs) that movie every day. Every day, every hour of the day, and he used to just call out the actual cuts, the fades. He knew everything about that movie. Now, in podcasting, this is a format. They're a podcast called right. like the Star Wars Minute, and they <clears throat> literally just go over a minute of the movie in every episode. They should do the Caddyshack Minute. So, this was more a movie or an obsession that was thrust upon me. But when you mm. asked, you know, what do I know a lot about? Yeah. I couldn't help, thank you, Paul, knowing about Caddyshack. <laughs> <laughs> just by
1: osmosis if nothing else. Pretty much. (laughs) All right. And then finally, you said you know a lot about the International Criminal Court in The Hague.
4: The International Criminal Court simultaneously represents the most exalted aspirations of man that we would bring justice to these horrible Mm. crimes and the monstrosity of mankind at the same time that we would even have to do it. But I have to be honest. Mm. I'm a big fan of the show. I listen a lot. And whereas I have real expertise in mascots Mm. and Caddyshack, I don't have expertise in the criminal court. Not really. But I thought you wouldn't pick it. It's such a downer. <laughs> We're talking about crimes uh, against humanity. We're talking about just horrible things. So I pretty much just wanted to narrow the choices to the first two. So this was a bluff, a ruse.
1: Wow. Let's see if you can call me out on it. A little bit of game theory. Well, buckle That's right. up, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Buckle up. Well, I hope Slobodan Milosevic doesn't hear that and accidentally hang up knowing that it's not a genuine interest of yours. All right. Well, to summarize, Mike, you told us you know and love college nicknames and mascots, the movie Caddyshack, and you dared us to pick the international criminal court in The Hague. Today, we're going to quiz you about... The movie Caddyshack. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Yes. I think our listeners also breathe a sigh of relief. How often do you think you've seen it? Either because of your friend or on your own?
4: Probably seven to ten times uh, in the hour and a half screening, but in one minute increments hundreds of times.
1: Wow. And uh, do you have any favorite moments?
4: Just being
1: the ball is something that I've internalized (laughs) over my life. Be the ball. And uh, as someone who's covered sports, have you covered golf and uh, did that inform how you report on golf? I did
4: two golf stories in my 10 years. It wasn't my game. And Mm -hmm. one of the stories was just Tiger Woods' teary apology that he, you know, did all these terrible things. And that counts as a golf story.
1: Oh, okay. So so not much. (laughs) All right. well just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about it, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Ellen, do listen closely because if Mike answers incorrectly, you can steal By the way, Ellen, how much do you know about the movie Cat
3: I thought you were talking about the Adam Sandler movie. And that's totally not.
1: Yes. Happy Gilmore, I think maybe you're thinking of. Yeah, no, I I, know that. I I know that you would hope that we would choose the International Criminal Court in the Hague because that is your true passion. But unfortunately, did not break that way. All right, uh, Mike, here we go. Question number one. Caddyshack was co-written by someone who had been a caddy and also appears in the movie. His brother had also worked as a caddy and he too appears in the movie and both brothers appeared as regulars on Saturday Night Live but not at the same time. What is the last name of these brothers? They're the Murrays. Helen?
0: That is correct. That is
1: correct. We are on our way. Uh, fun fact, Brian Doyle Murray and Bill Murray are the two who are in the movie. Their brother John also worked as a caddy and also appears as a caddy in the movie. The film's director, Harold Ramis, had also been a caddy. By the way, as we record this, the Murray brothers are participating this weekend in the 22nd annual Murray Brothers Shack Charity Golf Invitational, which is why they probably will not be our experts. Ah. Uh, all right. <laughs> All right, here's question number two. One of the most famous scenes in the film involves a candy bar floating in a swimming pool being mistaken for what is referred to as a duty. What Mm. brand of candy
4: bar is it? Think about this. If you're going to cast what's the perfect candy bar to play that role, it would be the Baby Ruth.
1: Helen?
0: That is correct.
1: That is correct. Helen agrees with your casting decision of (laughs) a duty. (laughs) Fun fact, the Baby Ruth candy bar does not float. Oh. Yeah. What kind of movie magic trickery was involved to make it seem like it did? We may never know or care. All right, here's question number three. Taking place mostly at a golf course, you'd expect lots of golf clubs to be mentioned in Caddyshack. But which of the following golf clubs is not mentioned in the movie? Is it driver, two iron, five iron, wedge, or putter? There are famous lines with driver and five iron. Well, I could get a hint. I'll just risk it. Two iron.
0: Ellen? That is not correct. No,
1: I'm terribly sorry. Ellen with a chance to
0: steal. Putter. Ellen? That is correct.
1: Ellen with a successful steal. I think the key to the steals is to not see the movie that we're asking about. (laughs) The curse of knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact, while a putter is not mentioned, it is, of course, featured in many scenes, including one where Chevy Chase as Ty Webb sinks a number of amazing putts in a row. However, you never see him actually make a putt. The sequence shows him hitting a ball and then cuts to a shot of a ball going into a cup. Again, movie magic. All right, let's see if we can bounce back with this are gonna, one. Are you going to
4: tell me yeah. the gophers weren't trained actual gophers? Is that,
1: <laughs> that where we're going with this? I don't, I don't want to spoil uh, what may be a question uh-huh, to come. Uh-huh,
4: uh-huh. Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> All right, uh, let's see if you can bounce back with this one. Mike, you still have your two hints available. Although mostly known for its original Kenny Loggins songs, including it's the theme, I'm All Right. right. Yeah. I think it's I'm All Right, but nevertheless. I'm All Right. Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
4: we're rolling with it. We don't have the rights to it anyway, so we all have to cut it out. Yeah.
1: Although mostly yeah. known for its original Kenny Loggins songs, there are many more memorable melodies in the movie. When wealthy Al Chervik, played by Rodney Dangerfield, honks the horn of his Rolls Royce, what appropriate tune plays?
4: Mmm, mm. I thought you were going Ooh. for the uh, Any Way You Want It. That's the way we need it. Ender, could you give me a hint for this one? Helen, how about that first hint? I think from Gold Diggers of 24, it's We're in the Money.
1: Helen?
0: That is correct. That is
1: correct for the point. Very nice use of the hint. Uh, the official title is the Gold Diggers song, parenthesis, We're in the Money, and it comes from the movie The Gold Diggers of. 1933.
4: Ah, oh, I was off. I was off. They had a lot of gold diggers movies. There were in so those, many gold diggers. True. Who can yeah, keep
1: track yeah. of them all? That's Bonus right. fun fact Ginger Rogers introduces the song in the movie and sings it in pig Latin. 1930s <laughs> movies, everybody. Movie magic. Movie magic. <laughs> all right, here's question number five, Mike The meddling Mr. Gopher. Was not, in fact, a real gopher, I'm sorry to break it to you, but was, in fact, a puppet operated by Tim Lawrence. But the voice of the gopher came predominantly from a TV show about a very different kind of animal. What TV show was it?
4: That's a great question. The Thank voice you. of the gopher.
1: I'm going to take the hint. Helen, how about that second hint?
0: Okay. These are the lyrics. Ready? Yeah. Everyone loves the king of the sea, ever so kind and gentle is he. Tricks he will do when children appear and how they laugh when he's near. They call him Flipper, Flipper, lighter than air. That?
1: Ellen? That is correct. And he sung it as well. Very nice job. Again, again we don't wow. have the rights. That'll all be cut out in post. <laughs> Fun fact, although the gopher sounds came from what was used as the voice of the dolphin, Flipper, they were not sounds from a real dolphin. Because dolphin sounds from Flipper actually came from a kookaburra, an Australian bird that also supplies that sound that you hear in old jungle movies. I think this is how the pandemic started. I'm not yes, sure. Yes, that's right. There was, was, there was contamination. <laughs> there was that kookaburra to dolphin to a gopher yeah. <laughs> uh, at the wet market that yeah, uh, started Yeah, the Chevy Chase all. leak and the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mike, you did quite well in that round, but now here's your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Mike, while Caddyshack shows Danny Noonan's work as a caddy, he frequently talks about his other career ambitions and his difficulty in deciding what to do. For up to three points, when Danny hints to Ted Knight as Judge Smales that he could use help paying for law school, what career does Judge Smales suggest instead? Next, when Danny says he's taken the Cooter career performance test at school, <laughs> what career does the test suggest he's suited for? And finally, who played Danny Noonan?
4: All right. The world needs ditch diggers. That's uh, That was the performance. I'll skip to the third one. It Mm. was Michael O'Keefe as Danny Noonan. And what did the test predict? I believe this was in a dialogue scene with Chevy Chase. What do they want him to do? I'm
1: going to say architect. Architect. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight?
0: Joining us tonight is an Oscar-nominated actor whose decades of work in film, TV, and Broadway include playing Danny Noonan in Caddyshack. It's Michael O'Keefe. Yes.
5: I think we're blowing Mike's Pesca's mind. Oh Michael my. O'Keefe. This
0: is amazing.
5: Hello Michael <laughs> O'Keefe. Thanks for having me. It's good I was on the Zoom meeting so it just happened to work out that I was here when <laughs> yes, we were
1: we were discussing uh, you know sales and uh, metrics before this, and I'm glad we were able to keep you on for the show part. Of course, in addition to Caddyshack, people will remember you from your recurring roles on shows like Roseanne, Homeland, Masters of Sex, movies like The Slugger's Wife, Michael Clayton, and of course The Great Santini, for which you were nominated for an Oscar. What a wonderful career that you've had and that you continue to have as well as being on stage. Uh, What some people may not know is that you also have had success as a songwriter. You wrote uh, most notably with Bonnie Raitt on the song Longing in Their Hearts, uh, One Part Be My Lover. Both of those albums that those songs were on won Grammys. I'm very curious, first of all, uh, how did the Grammys compare to the Oscars? Because we don't meet a lot of people who got to go to both.
5: The thing about the Grammys, the first one I went to with Bonnie I don't think we were married yet, and we were just kind of living together. And I'd come home from one of those usual unemployed actor days where she was like, mm-hmm. what was your day like? And I was like, oh, you know, I, I went to the dry cleaner, which gave me a sense of accomplishment. Yeah. You know? <laughs> she said, yeah, I got, I got a uh, dozen roses from Elton John, and my dad called. We're going to go have dinner. I got nominated for four Grammys. <laughs> back up, back up. What What was that about the Grammys? And then we went, and she won all four that night. So it was really one of those crazy, unpredictable things where she was catapulted into the stratosphere of music fame. And I happened to be her date, you know.
1: Let's not uh, diminish the idea of going to the dry cleaners. That still is a big day for both of you.
5: For an unemployed actor, that's a real serious accomplishment. You can put that on your resume, actually.
1: (laughs) Well, you're still making movies and still writing songs. Uh, Tell us about this new project that's coming up called One True Loves, where you get to do both.
5: Yeah, you know, um, uh, Philippa Sue, who you may remember, played Eliza Mm -hmm. opposite Lin-Manuel Miranda in Hamilton on Broadway. It it plays my daughter in the movie and she is uh, at the opening of the movie um, with Simu Liu, the young actor from uh, Mm. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. And she gets a phone call, Philippa, and it's her dead husband, who's pre- portrayed by Luke Bracey, this wonderful Australian actor who had died, quote unquote. But there he is on the end of the phone saying, hey, I'm alive. And so she's got to make a choice between the two. While we were filming, Alex Reed, who is one of the writers of the screenplay, along with his wife, Taylor Jenkins Reed, who wrote the novel that the movie's based on. And I started having a conversation and I said, you know, I think I can write a song for this movie if you let me, you know, try. And, and I you know, played him one or two of the songs that I'd written, and then I called my songwriting partner, Suzy Roach, who everybody may remember as being one of the three Roach sisters, and they were a fantastic singing group together. Oh, okay. We wrote three of the songs, uh, but they bought one of them, and it's in the movie. It's called Used to Be, and it's kind of a pivotal moment where... Um, these two characters that were in love and were together have to decide if they're going to stay together.
1: So uh, where will people be able to see this film?
5: Well, it was in theaters, released in theaters on April 7th, and now I think you can rent it on Amazon and Apple, or you can just come over to my house and watch it here. Oh,
1: <laughs> wow, what, a, what an exciting special offer for our listeners. Yeah, we have it
5: in a <laughs> perpetual loop, so just any time. <laughs>
1: Excellent. Well, let's get into it and talk about Caddyshack. Uh, I saw an interview where you said that making Caddyshack was like an exercise in controlled chaos. Well, I'd heard you describe it also sort of as six week of parties. And it had a reputation as being sort of this drug-fueled set. You know, it was the late 70s and it was a lot of comedy people. How much truth is there to that?
5: There's a whole lot of truth. Okay. (laughs) It's about as true as you can get. And, you know, people thought partying was kind of the thing to do. So, you know, in retrospect, there was way too much of it because we lost Doug Kenny directly as a result of all that. Right.
1: That's the, the co-writer. And,
5: um, one of the great comic geniuses of his generation, you know, and, that's a heartbreaker. So there was the fun aspect of it, but there is the darker aspect to it. And and Doug's death was certainly one of those things.
1: Now, of course, you were working with some wonderful comedic actors who were known for their improvisation, uh, but you were allowed to improvise as well. You were able to keep up, especially, I believe, in those Chevy Chase scenes.
5: Well, yeah, I I got to throw in one or two lines. Clearly, Bill Murray is the genius of the improv in in that movie, along with Chevy and Rodney and Ted as well. And I just essentially grabbed onto their coattails and and tried to keep up.
1: The script changed a lot from before you started filming to, I think you had said about about a week in, things changed a lot.
5: Yeah, you know, I think Harold uh, kind of came to the realization that in Ted and Rodney and Bill and Chevy, he had kind of created a modern day Marx Brothers team, you know, Mm -hmm. which of course then made my character Gummo Marx, <laughs> the, the, you know the not terribly funny one, and the not the one not in the leading role.
1: Yeah, but he was still there. He was still there. Yeah,
5: and good, and good <laughs> at business behind the scenes. Well, it was good that Harold did what he did because that's why we have the movie we have. Mm. You know, it's that's why it's a classic and why people love it.
1: And then, you know, here we are, almost forty-five years after it came out, and people are still talking about it. It's so many people's favorite movie. Uh, do you have a theory as to why? Why that is?
5: There was something about the Zeit, and this was really a Doug Kenny thing. He, they captured the Zeitgeist of that kind of snob versus the, the slob thing. And they did it in Animal House and they did it in Caddyshack. And you know if you go back and look at some of the movies just a little bit earlier than that, of some of the more successful Hollywood comedies, it was of a completely different genre. It was a completely different right. vibe. It was a completely different feel. It was more like Vegas as opposed to rock and roll. and. Animal House and Caddyshack really were rock and roll as opposed to like, you know, Ocean's Eleven, for instance. Right, but you mentioned the, the Marx Brothers. They are the ur
4: slobs versus snobs. So they were getting back to chaotic comic roots with this movie and
5: those movies. I think you're right about that. You know, I mean, and, I, and if you go back now and look at any of those Marx Brothers movies, they still land. They're hilarious.
1: Uh, last thing I want to ask you about, uh, you've worked with so many amazing actors over your career. What stands out to me, though, is you got to work with Betty Davis, um, what do you remember about working with her?
5: You know, I I play I did this one of these, like, Children of the Corn movies with Betty yeah. Davis, and I played the young corn god. I'm doing air quotes again. My character, uh, you know, would reign for seven years as the corn god, and then it was a matriarchal society, an agrarian society, mm-hmm. and it was a horror movie. And so the way the corn was ensured to grow... Every seven years, would they would slit the throat of the corn god and drain his blood into the ground. Based on a true story, I understand. <laughs> yeah. to, kind of like my Catholic upbringing. <laughs> the first scene I did with Betty Davis, Ms. Davis, as we called her on the set, uh, and Leo Penn was directing Sean Penn's father... Mm. We were in a town square, and and Miss Davis was seated on a kind of throne, and I knelt before her for the rehearsal, and she essentially like knighted me, you know, arise, sir knight, you are the corn god. (laughs) And when we rehearsed the scene, I didn't break a smile, I just stared daggers at her. My character's name, by the way, was Worthy Pettinger, (laughs) and Betty's, Miss Davis's character's name was The Widow. And so I stared these daggers at Betty Davis. And then when Leo cut, without missing a beat, Betty Davis turns to Leo and goes, Leo, I don't think Worthy likes the widow. <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately fell in love with Betty Davis. I hadn't always been a huge fan of her. But of course, at that moment, I was like, you could have just knocked me over with a feather. I was a. 20 year old kid who had this yeah. thing about wanting to be an actor and there was this legend that i got to work with so it was pretty amazing
1: amazing indeed all right well let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned you heard the questions that we asked of mike first we wanted to know when danny hits to ted knight as judge Smales that he could use help paying for law school what career does judge Smales suggest instead helen what did mike pesca say
0: mike said the world needs ditch diggers
1: and michael
5: yeah absolutely it was the ditch digger line you got that right
1: Excellent. Very good. A point for Mike. Next, we wanted to know, according to that Cooter career preference test at school, what career does the test suggest he's suited for? Helen, what did Mike say?
0: Mike said architect. And Michael
1: O'Keefe?
5: No, it's underachiever. Right,
1: right. Underachiever, yes. All right. And finally, we wanted to know who could it possibly be who had played Danny Noonan in Caddyshack? Helen, what did Mike Pesca say? Mike said Michael O'Keefe. Answer?
5: And you're correct, Mike. So good, good job on that.
1: Excellent. Another point from Mike Pesca. Well, Mike, while we've got Michael here, anything else you'd like to ask or say to him?
4: Sure. Let's get right to it. From what we understand, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase legendarily not fans of each other. In fact, one replaced the other on SNL, but they had that brilliant scene. Uh, From what I read, they knew they needed a scene together. Did you see any sign of uh, tension or discord between them on set or any other time? Uh,
5: No, they were nothing but professional to the extent that those two are capable of being professional. (laughs) But if you go back and look look at a Howard Stern uh, talk show where he had Chevy on, Chevy talks about the quote unquote fight that he and Bill had backstage uh, at SNL. And and that's the real story. And it was probably a lot more like a high school shuffle, uh, you know, scuffle that essentially it sounds like from Chevy that Belushi kind of tried to, you know, engendered the fight between the two of them and, and then had to break it up at the same time.
4: Always
1: Belushi. Always getting the things. <laughs> <orphans. laughs> uh Michael, it's been so wonderful you've been able to join us. People want to find out more about you and what you're up to. Where can they do that?
5: Uh, well, they can go to their local police station where I'll probably be held on bail. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Well, we appreciate that. And, of course, uh, look <laughs> look for your new movie, which, of course, <laughs> is called One True Loves. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Michael O'Keefe, everybody. Thank you, guys. Awesome. All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round?
0: At the end of that round, Ellen Aquario has seven points and Mike Pesca has eight points.
1: Ooh, very close game. All right, now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Ellen and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Ellen, a very tall building can be called a skyscraper. True. Correct. Correct. Mike, the movie The Towering Inferno took place in a skyscraper. True. Correct. Ellen, that movie featured O.J. Simpson. False. Incorrect. No, it really did. Mike, that movie featured Robert Redford. False. Correct. Ellen, that movie featured Fred Astaire. False. Incorrect. No, it really did. Am that's true? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Fred Astaire was nominated for an Oscar for his role in The Towering Inferno. True. Correct. Ellen, it was the only Oscar nomination he ever received. True. Correct. Mike, it was the only Oscar nomination the movie received. False. Correct. Ellen, the movie was nominated for Best Original Song.
0: True. Correct.
1: Mike, the movie won for Best Original Song.
0: True. Correct.
1: Ellen, that song was Disco Inferno.
0: (laughs) False. Correct.
1: (laughs) Mike, that song was We Didn't Start the Fire.
4: (laughs) False. Correct.
1: Ellen, that song was, hey, that skyscraper's on fire. False. <laughs> oh, correct. <laughs> and finally, Mike, that song was, hey, is that O.J. Simpson and Fred Astaire? <laughs> <laughs> balls. Correct. <laughs> Alright, we're not going to count those last few. I want to thank Ellen and Mike was Helen tabulates the final score. Uh, the song that won the Oscar from The Towering Inferno was called We May Never Love Again. By the way, Disco Inferno was inspired by a scene in that movie, a scene at a burning disco. <laughs> Alright, <laughs> Helen, are you ready to announce the winner of today's show?
0: I am. At the end of the game, Ellen Aquario has 10 points and Mike Pesca has 13 points. <laughs> Congratulations,
1: Mike pesca you are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself, a high scoring game for both of our contestants mike what will you do with your championship start the fire you're gonna start the fire okay you did start the fire uh all right we're gonna wrap things up by giving everyone here a chance to uh, mention or promote anything they might like ellen what are you up to and where can people find your work
3: uh you can find me on tiktok instagram youtube everything at ellen aquario that's e-l-l-e-n a-C-U-A-R-I-O. And I will have a headlining show May 25th at Last Comedy Club in Seattle.
1: Awesome. Well, so wonderful to meet you. And thank you so much for joining us, Ellen Aquario. Thank you.
3: Thank
1: you. Uh, Mike Pesca, what about you?
4: Uh, my show, The Gist, is on every day. I have a substack called Pesca Profundities. And we still have the GoFundMe up for the Denny family. Just Google Pesca and GoFundMe. And maybe maybe you'll put it in the show notes. They still are accepting donations and need them. Thank you.
1: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner is Helen Hong. Helen, what do you have going on?
0: You can follow me on all the socials at Funny Helen Hong because, as we know, that other Helen Hong, she ain't funny.
1: Not funny, but this one is.
0: And you can watch my comedy special, Well Hong, on multiple platforms, including Amazon, Apple TV, and YouTube.
1: And go up to Helen at any comedy festival. That's how you end up being on our show. Helen (laughs) Hong, everyone. Uh, And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leads me to thank Ellen Aquario, Mike Pesca, Karen McCullough, Kirsten Kiwi-Smith, Larissa Olenek, Michael O'Keefe, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T shaped shirt and mug shaped mug at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like Trish603 did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, fantastic show. The episodes have great replayability. And knowing slash remembering the answers in the follow-ups makes me feel like a smarty pants. Thanks, Trish603. I hope you replay this review and feel even smarter your pants. Ellen?
0: Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J.K. Ben Stratton, and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the world. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor and overall hero is Julian Bur- our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam native Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Bart Gold. Promotional graphics by Eric Tran. Added support from Dave Bianchi and Christine Vallada. Special thanks to Alex B. Eilman at Trademark Talent. Adrienne Sandoval at Forward Entertainment. Seth Jarrett at Jarrett Entertainment. Jenna Block at Verve Talent and Literary, Dee Perez and Erica Carter at Nickelodeon, Jason Kravitz, Betsy Zyko, Arden Marine, Shoshana Rhine, Jason Stewart, and Kirk Carley. I've been Helen Hong! Let's go watch
1: movies that people enjoy!
0: Like 10 Things I Hate About You!
1: And Caddyshack! And also, what is TikTok?